Hi there, everybody. Welcome to episode number 45 of the Fourth Wall Podcast. This is typically when you would be listening to the melodic voice of one Mr. Griffin Schiller, host of the Fourth Wall Podcast. And don't worry, he doesn't have a cold or some sort of Canadian accent this particular episode. No, there is a guest host. My name is Michael Wynn Johnson. I'm managing editor for Filmspeak.net, a friend and colleague of Griffin Schiller. I do want to thank him for allowing me to borrow this platform. And of course, I want to thank the playlist for allowing me this opportunity as well. As you already know, this podcast is where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as well as get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from writers, directors, actors, you name it. This is just one of the many amazing options that you have in the Playlist Podcast Network where you can find the rest of the amazing film and television-centric shows or podcasts like The Discourse, Be Real, the Playlist Podcast, and so much more. Whatever your fix is, The Playlist has definitely got you covered, so consider subscribing to the podcast feed, where you'll also, of course, get more episodes of The Fourth Wall Podcast featuring Griffin Schiller, maybe featuring Michael Wynn Johnson in the future, but at the very least, you know you got Griffin. I say the very least, he's really good at what he does, isn't he? So we have a very exciting episode for you today, not simply because it's the very first episode of 2022 for The Fourth Wall Podcast, not just because you get a guest host, but we're going to be talking about one of the more anticipated, highly anticipated films of the summer of 2022, and that is Pixar's Lightyear. Lightyear, which of course is featuring the voice of Captain America himself, Mr. Chris Evans, is going to be released on June 17th. I was fortunate enough to watch approximately 20 minutes of this film. Early footage, not complete footage, but let me tell you, we are in for something special. There is an absolute myriad of reasons to be excited about this project. The 20 minutes that I saw, of course, gave me a reason to be excited, but more importantly, gave me some reassurance that this, while it may not be your childhood Buzz Lightyear, is definitely going to be everything that Pixar has come to be. With us on this particular episode is Angus McLean, director and co-writer of Lightyear, and Galen Sussman, producer of the film. And I want to tell you, if you think about the Pixar formula, if you want to even call it that, I just call it being very good at what the studio does. These two have been an integral part of that for a long time. In fact, Sussman has been with the company since 1988. Did you even know it had been around for that long? In fact, worked her way up through the company, was part of the original if you want to call it that, Pixar film, not Toy Story, not one of the shorts, but Pencil Test. It's uh, one of the earliest test and demonstration shorts that Pixar produced not long after Mr. Steve Jobs had purchased it from Lucasfilm. So there's a little bit of an animation history lesson for you out there. So as mentioned, Sussman definitely worked her way up through the company, became an integral member of the Pixar family, but so too has McLean. He's been a part of Pixar since 1998 with Bugs Life. His filmography includes Toy Story 2, For the Birds, which is a short, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, my favorite, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, it goes on and on and on. He found himself as co-director of Finding Dory in 2016, and now solo director and co-writer of Lightyear. 
I do want to say this was an absolute blast simply because the two of them have a great sense of humor. I say that because Sussman laughed at a bunch of my jokes. <laughs> and more importantly, McLean really kept up in terms of the dark humor as well. And if you see that test footage, if you're one of the fortunate ones, you know exactly what I'm talking about because he had a little skit, a little interlude where his sense of humor definitely shine through. Let's hear what they have to say about this highly anticipated light year film about where Buzz is going perhaps to infinity or perhaps beyond. Angus, Galen, how we doing? Great, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, very well. So wanted to ask both of you, but I think Galen, I'll put it to you first as producer of this film. You've both been involved with Pixar for a very long time. Uh, the company has built this amazing kind of lexicon of characters. So if you'll forgive the space pun, why do you think we still gravitate towards Buzz Lightyear? That was good. Um, he's, he's aspirational um, and funny and goofy. Like, I think all of us like to think that we can be funny and goofy and try our best and be loved for just that, even if we completely get it wrong. So I don't know. I, that's, I, that's the connection. And People love that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good, that's a solid. Angus, did you want to add to that? No. <laughs> she nailed it? That was it? Okay. Well, Angus, I'm going to ask you to put your writer's hat on then, just okay. for this very first question for you. Cool. Because, again, the company has this absolutely uncanny ability to just pick these moments that absolutely devastate you emotionally somehow uh -huh. they do it time and time again so angus i gotta ask you are the writers okay at pixar <laughs> is this a this is a pixar sad labs question huh? the uh um, yeah they're fine i mean you're, you're you're the big thing is that you 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 need to find something you need to find a situation where you're rooting for buzz's success and generally in the first act of the movie you want to have the character um, because of their greatest passion that causes them to make the wrong choice. And so the, the greatest passion that Buzz has is being a space ranger and doing his job. Um, and because of that, he makes, makes a, a wrong choice and he continues to make some, uh, some questionable choices um, that are more outlined in the footage you haven't seen. Um, but the, yeah, I think, I think the writers, I mean, is anyone okay at this point? I mean, <laughs> I think we're as good as anyone is. I mean, we're, you know, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Good. good. Well, glad to hear it. I mean, just the fact that you can tap into that, I think, really tells you a lot about the people who write for your company and uh, obviously the writing that you've done for this movie. Uh, you know, a follow up to that, I think for both of you, when you're, you're doing some story meetings, you know, trying to um, really kind of, you know, understand where you want to go with this, how do you find that same formula without seeming formulaic because you know people come back to these films all the time and if they were repetitive in any way i don't think we would again gravitate towards them but you guys are able to kind of find this is what we need for the hero we need a heartfelt moment we need a comedic moment you know is it just a oh. testament to the talent at pixar I don't know if I look at it that way as far as like finding moments. It's, I mean, we do, you do, you do, you try, when you get to a moment, you do work it a bit. But um, this movie was very intentionally, structurally different than, than most other Pixar movies in the structure, in, in the movies we were patterning it after. Um, like action thrillers have a different rhythm to them than um, some of the other films that Pixar has made. 
but I, and I think then you're just trying to do the best you can with each of those moments uh, and heighten the emotion to be appropriate for the modulation of the film. Um, I, I, all of the directors here are telling, there's an aspect of each of these stories that's very personal. And so from that perspective, every personal story is gonna be unique because yeah. it's unique to that person. And so the more a director taps into that well of their own true authentic experience, the more unique the film and the more specific and particular and henceforth, the more relatable. Yeah, well put. Yeah, I'd love that. That's a great answer. Um, you know, just continuing because Angus, you had kind of addressed it already. I noticed, I don't know if you want to call them Easter eggs, but they're definitely influences, you know, the sneak peek footage that we got to see uh -huh. um, some within the Pixar catalog, but others, you know, just within cinema in general, I'm kind of noticing maybe a little halo with the character design, maybe a little interstellar, you know, if you're a Nolan fan, but um, what were some of the influences when you were writing this film and definitely when you were both creating it? Well, I mean, my favorite movie is aliens and, and I think that was a really influential movie. Um, that's more atmospheric for the world than narratively. It's not structured like that. Um, but, uh, and, and Halo is, um, was not a direct influence, but Halo is heavily influenced by aliens, which is probably where we're getting that. Um, Interstellar was, we were, um, it's, not, it's not, not really a movie that I'm drawn to per se, but I understand the, the correlations. Um, the, I, I think that the way that I understand cinema is through um, specific examples of things that have inspired me. And so when we're working something, you know, well, this is how this was solved in a different movie, or this is how this was solved in a different movie, as a way to communicate and um, uh, communicate with the team to figure out how, what the best path is forward. And like, oh, you know, in this scene, this is how they solve this problem visually. And oftentimes it's a detail or a communication aspect uh, of another film it's not like a it's not a reference anyone would get but it's more like this is how problems were solved before and this is what we can learn from them uh and the way that my, my brain works is it just sort of categorizes these moments um that i can just kind of call up and go oh like this or like that and then i you know, it's i'll just i'll just uh it'll be just a way to communicate those ideas and there's so many film fans uh in in the groups that we have it's easy it's just a way to kind of communicate so it's kind of a way to um it's kind of steeps the whole movie is uh cinema history stuff caitlin speaking of, of problem solving uh there's an absolutely legendary story about how you may have single-handedly saved toy story 2 um from devastation um do you want to tell people that story who may not have heard it before Okay. First of all, <laughs> this is my favorite part of every, any interview because my brain hears this and I like relax. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'm not involved. I was there, but I not. I did. Great, please. Uh -huh. Let's let your claim to fit. You've yeah, saved yeah, the world. Let's hear that. So first of all, if you know anything about Pixar, nothing ever happens single-handedly here, right? It's a team of people. I did have the movie on a computer at home because I had recently had a baby and I wanted to be home at mealtime and then work with great. But then, I, so when the film was accidentally deleted and we still don't know how, um, and the backups have been failing for several months, a group of people all got together to pull apart and take off of my computer and, 
and reassemble the film. So I didn't single-handedly save anything. I had the computer. I was the soup tech at the time. And uh, yeah, and needless to say, we've learned a lot. Um, we have great reliable backups that are verified regularly. And it's a good thing because we couldn't fit one shot of this film on a computer at home anymore. There's so much data in these films. So it's a good thing. Well, that, that's a perfect segue because, you know, both of you, again, have been involved with Toy Story, the franchise, uh, since either the first one or the second one, you know, as, as lighting directors and, and other animators. And the one thing that I definitely love about the franchise is it's grown with the audience. You know, I saw the original, I think I was uh, 15. And then as we get to the third and fourth one, it begins to deal with adulthood or young adulthood, and it kind of coincides. You guys have this personal connection with it where... You know, Galen, you had a, a baby at the same time that you were still creating a baby in a sense. So I'm curious how you guys feel about what you've seen in terms of the growth of technology, of the story itself, of all the things involved in Toy Story and up to this point. Wow. That's a big question. <laughs> things, have, things have changed so much and yet they also stay the same, right? So the the... Technology has, allows us to, to do so much more. We put so much more into our films. Um, our frames take 80 hours, 100 hours to render a frame. You know, it was the same on Toy Story. Now we can render a Toy Story frame in 30 seconds, right? It's, it's kind of crazy. And yet there's, there's a lot of the sameness, right? It's still um, people getting in a room together, challenging each other creatively, technically to put to put a great story out on the screen and we can, our stories can be more complicated because our abilities have gotten more complicated, you know, more, more sophisticated, but, um, but yeah, it, fundamentally it's still just about storytelling. Right. That hasn't gotten any easier. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I got it faster. <laughs> uh, well, Angus, do you feel, I think it's come full circle in a sense, because with the premise behind Lightyear, and how it is the film that Andy watched to become a Buzz Lightyear fan in the first place. Do you feel that sense of, you know, it's come full circle or do you still feel there's so much more to do with, uh, you know, all these great characters? Full circle. Yeah. That's, that's a, I just imagined myself like just, just turning into dust, you know, like the, it's not like the just like, and just dust to dust. No, just no, like, no. like the, in the blip or whatever, but uh, the, um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's a there's a certain level of uh, uh, looking back at it that feels it's, a, it's certainly a time marker. It's 25 years is a long time to work on a character. Uh, sure. And, and and in that, you know, I've grown uh, older uh, and and hopefully wiser. And I think that the uh, there is some there's a, it is pretty. I guess it is certainly personal to me. Um, I've thought about that. I mean. I think that because it was such an interest of the character was something I was so interested in when I started my career here and that I'm still working on the character and discovering things about the character and helping to invent things about the character. Um, it, it sort of feels familiar and um, we're, we're not yet at the finish of this one. So it's hard to get my head. I mean, it's almost done, but yeah, I think I, you're poking at something that, that, that it, it um, it will probably feel full circle. Then at that point, I will be going around in circles. I'll be going to get out of that circle, right? Because that's just one circle. 
that's you know if you're going around in circles full circles implies you're gonna like it's a snake eating its tail yeah. You probably have other questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I like that the circle thing was good. Um, so, well, just in terms of, I guess, circles, um, when we talk about bringing Mr. Chris Evans into this role, talking about evolving, this is a new circle. It's a new loop. Um, what were some kind of preconceived characteristics that you wanted Buzz to have in this iteration, since it is kind of a different Buzz? Um, and what did Chris bring to the character that uh, that you guys found was a little surprising? Well, we were taking a character that was a sidekick and making him the, the, you know, the central protagonist of the film. So we had to develop a lot of, you know, what makes this person a dimensional person, you know, character that we want to spend 90 minutes of our lives with. Um, so that was really sort of the fundamental change that we were looking to make. And, and we were looking for Chris to bring um, sort of a level of, of gravitas and, you know, that kind of balance to, yes, funny, yes, heroic, but also um, self-reflective and contemplative and, you know, the things that you want in a, in a protagonist. Um, Chris brought a, a uh, and continues to bring an enthusiasm. He's also an animation fan. He, he brought a, a belief into the project that I've, I've never quite seen from talent before, just so wholeheartedly like in it with us that it was really, it felt like a collaborative development of the character in a way that was just very satisfying. Uh, it, the, way, the biggest surprise, I agree with all that, the biggest surprise was how um, good he is at, at uh, matching uh, physical acting to, dial, uh, to, to scenes. Like you could watch a whole scene and just perform the physical, <clears throat> like right to it, just as he's watching it real time. So we record like one take of that, that, the scene you saw of him hanging upside down. That was one take just take the whole audio track and slid it like eight frames early and that lined up perfectly uh he could just just do it so good well he's a pro just like you guys well thank you so much i appreciate your time and i can't thank wait to you. see the full thing Love all it. the best with you take care